Welcome to another episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley, coming to you from inside of Reed's mind. Oh, trippy. Also Costa Rica. This whole time, I've just been doing two voices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, 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 Reed wishes he had a brother, so he made one up. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I'm going to do that podcast next. There you go. <laughs> well, we've taken a little hiatus, I think, as there's been a bit of a movie drop off the last few months, but we're back. I heard I heard you went to the theater with our mother. That's true. Socially distanced, wearing masks, and enjoyed a nice little art drama. Okay. All right. In both senses of the word art. There you go. Uh, and this week we're going to be talking about the new David Fincher movie on Netflix, Mank. But before we get to that, Ty, what is your favorite David Fincher film? Hmm. I think it's probably Fight Club. <laughs> Not a bad answer. I think that's very understandable. I also like Panic Room. I think Panic Room's good. I I watched uh I've watched a couple of his movies recently. We watched Panic Room uh and Remy had never seen Zodiac. Uh and that is my favorite Fincher movie. I, I think Zodiac is so good. Is that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah. I, it's like a top five movie for me, really. What? Okay. Alright. But he's he's the got a I don't know, kind of a darker sensibility in his movies, right? Like I don't know, a little there's some anger there. Probably. I can see that. Yeah, they're not super uplifting. Well, have you seen Seven? No. Or Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? I think I did see that one, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I guess I I think he tries to deal with more of that sort of like psychological trauma kind of those those issues and I think Mank was sort of a left turn for him in that way. I don't know. Okay, okay. I th- I'd say it's still pretty psychological. And not and and kind of dark themed also maybe. So maybe maybe it's right up his alley. Yeah, it's well it's it's a guy slowly getting screwed, slowly getting taken advantage of, playing out, getting angrier and angrier about it. It seems kind of like I don't know. Social network. It seems to me very much in the same same world. Well, yeah, let's I mean, let's talk about Mank, because I think the thing that surprised me the most about this movie was sort of the the social commentary and him, you know, talking about media and elections and corporations taking advantage of empl- of their employees. It just felt, I don't know, pretty in the moment, but also on the nose a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very, it very much, it did feel very much like he was conscientiously talking to our moment, but did you see who wrote it? Uh, I, I know it's his dad. Yeah. That's weird. Right. I don't think his dad wrote it. Well, do you know when his dad wrote it? No, I've <laughs> I no just idea. assumed a long time ago. Probably. But maybe he just wrote it. Who knows? Well, now I feel like we should know that because I guess I saw that and I was like, oh, he's 
after going a long time without making a movie, he's finally been able to make this movie that his dad wrote that he probably really wanted to make. And it has all these themes that are kind of parallel to what's going on right now. Well, I do think he has been trying to make this for a while. So I guess it's not recently written, but I don't think that means some of the stuff they choose to highlight or some of the themes couldn't have changed. You mean he adapted it to the times? I think he could have. Yeah. Uh, I just checked. His dad wrote the script in the 90s. And he wanted to make it with Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster in the late 1990s. I think that could have worked. And maybe those themes are just timeless, I guess. People are always being suppressed and taking advantage of the populace. Yeah. Media. I mean, yeah, it's, I feel like this is a movie that media classes should watch. It's because it just looks, it highlights so clearly how the media controls people and can be used to manipulate. I thought, I thought, yeah, I think it's a very pretty timely theme, timely and timeless, timeless because it is timely (laughs) always. I don't know. I thought I thought that was. Um, I thought it was. I. You, I mean, you said it was on the nose. I. I feel like it was kind of earned. You know, it didn't seem like he was forced to me. It seemed like this movie really is about what was this writer thinking about when they when he wrote Citizen Kane, and it made sense that this is what he was thinking about. It is interesting to have that sort of context and backstory of you know knowing Citizen Kane was about William Randolph Hearst. But to have the writer have had like an actual relationship with him and then, you know, applying those insights and those experiences into the script. Uh, I don't know if I think fills out the movie Citizen Kane a little bit more. Did you rewatch it this week or in the last week or so? I downloaded it today <laughs> to watch. So I will. Yeah. Have you? No, but I, I also want to. I mean, it's like, I think that'd be, I don't know. Yeah, I think it just makes it more interesting. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I thought it was a, I liked Mank's perspective. I liked seeing why he was doing it, but I don't know if I could quite see why he was so, he, he seemed so cheerful all the time in this process of kind of messing up, messing over his old friend. I think if I, if it was me and I had been someone's friend and I felt, even if I felt really strongly politically compelled to, to write something because I was angry about an election or whatever, I still think I would have been m- maybe sorrowful or at the least not like cheerful. <laughs> but he was kind of like, <laughs> wait till you see what I wrote. Yeah, but I think he has that sort of sensibility of like, you know, coming at it with humor and I don't know, maybe using his tools to get back at Hearst the best way he could. Because I, I mean, I guess we, we, you know, they don't keep going with the movie, but I think at that dinner at the end, the final conflict, that's the end of their relationship. Don't you think like he didn't keep working with MGM and probably wasn't still friends with Hearst? Yeah, I'm sure not. I'm sure. I think he was already fired from MGM at that point, for sure. That happens in the film, but yeah, I don't think Hearst would have um, put up with him anymore. I mean, it's a pretty big affront. And I mean, even though, Oh yeah, Oh yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. And they, I mean, they use that theme of like the, the court jester or the, um, the monkey grinder, you know, or they, I think, I think they do clever things where like they reference those early in the movie and then they, it comes back later and you get the context of why they were saying it. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like that and the idea of like a jester is, yeah, you can get away with saying anything you want in the court as long as you're making the king happy. But as soon as you're out of favor, like they'll just throw you out. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to Hearst Castle? I haven't. And I, uh, I, I used to work for the Hearst Corporation and could have got in for free, but I just never drove down there. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, it's still a privately owned media and uh, they have other. I, I worked for their medical division, but yeah, still a privately owned company. Oh, interesting. I went there last summer when I was living in L.A. And uh, they tell you on the tour about how much he hated Citizen Kane and how he tried to get it squashed. And you, I think they. it looks like they, I mean, obviously... They would have done this on purpose, but it looks like they might have even filmed it at the castle. But I don't know if the Hearst Corporation would have let them. I don't know. This movie, Mank? Yeah, Mank. I mean, it has that big dining hall for sure that I can remember. I don't. I can't remember if it's exactly the same, but I can totally remember that big room with the long dining table. And it's where they had all their parties and people would come up um, from the train station. They talked about that on the tour and you heard that in the movie and they had a bunch of bedrooms and people would stay as long as they wanted and Hearst would never ask them to leave. So you could stay two weeks, three weeks. I mean, that would just attract such sycophants, right? I mean, uh, but I, maybe it is what Citizen Kane is about. This person who just wanted to feel loved and that adoration of people. Yeah. Yeah. Hearst, there's something wrong with Hearst. I mean, he, yeah, he needed, he had a big hole he was trying to fill. For some reason, it's super weird what he did with his girlfriend too, his mistress and, you know, trying to get her to be a star in the kind of movies that she didn't want to do. And yeah, it's just icky. There's some ickiness, some controllingness. Well, it's like he wanted to maintain an image and would just use money to get that right. Like pay for her to be in the movies, pay for writers to be subsidized. And I don't know, just try to be. Yeah, it's that controlling aspect that you talked about. Yeah. So I think, I, I don't think the Hearst character in the film, in Mank, is super sympathetic. I think he's, he seems cold. Yeah. That scene, I, I, if I was going to say one part of the movie was on the nose or something, that, that last dramatic scene where he gets kicked out was kind of, it felt over the top and almost kind of like it was from a different movie or I don't know. Well, he's, he was much more like principled and it's such a long monologue. Someone, I don't know. Have you have you ever talked for more than one minute without people interrupting you? It just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And to and to have Hearst just listen calmly when he's such a powerful guy who doesn't. I mean, I'm not. I'm sure he's not used to be being having it handed to him like that. No, definitely. Why wouldn't not. he just cut him off and throw him out? Did you feel like uh, Oldman did a good job? I did. I guess I had no context for this person, so you know he. I don't know. He, I think he does a good job sort of disappearing into roles. Another one of my favorite movies is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with him as the main character. But at one point, I think he said he was 40 and he's obviously like 60 years old in real life. Like I couldn't tell if yeah, he's, he just doesn't, he's too old for he's this way spot. too old. He's way too old. He's way too old. It's so weird that they cast him. Yeah. I was like, I, I hate that they cast him. He looked like he could be his wife's father. Like, honestly, he looked so much older than the woman playing poor Sarah. 
that I was like, I don't know what's going on with this relationship, but it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So then it introduces this, this dynamic where he seems like a hound dog kind of like, Ooh, this guy got a young woman, but that's not the truth that like, that's a dynamic that shouldn't be in our minds when we're watching it. Cause that wasn't true about Mank. Well, then it makes you think like, is, <sighs> it, is, is his relationship with the actress like weirdly sexual or like what's going on with this, the type, the secretary that he has with him? Like, do they have a weird relationship? Like I, yeah, it's like, I, you, it makes him seem like he's cheating on his wife all the time. But I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or if that is ever manifest. Yeah. I feel like it hints at it, but doesn't confirm it, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I, he's he this is such a bad casting choice. I think. Who would you think would do better? Bring back Jesse Eisenberg, right? <laughs> he has like a very like, yeah, he could be like kind of quick, witty dialogue, a little smarmy. I think Matt Damon would be good in this role. No, Matt Damon's not a real actor. Uh, have you seen Talented Mr. Ripley? <laughs> I have. There you go. That's how I know. That's how I know he's not a real actor. <laughs> no, it's got to be someone. No, I don't know. I can't think I can't think of the right person. No, that's okay. I, I agree. It, it was just he was too old for this this role in, in my mind. It. But if you don't focus on that, I think he did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, then. Yes. I guess. Do you like that storytelling style of the flashbacks and moving between the present day and the history so that you're slowly, I don't know, kind of building out why he's doing the stuff he's doing as he does it? Uh, it's not my favorite device, but I think they were they were trying to copy the structure of Susan Kane, right? That's yes, I did think that's probably what it was. I wanted to conf- I wanted to watch Susan Kane to confirm it, but I that's my strong suspicion that they tried to tell it in the same way. I mean, I yeah, I think I've said this on this podcast a lot, but I, a lot of times if things are flashbacks, it just feels kind of like a a lazier way of telling the story, or you're you're, you're relying on some trick because you can't tell it in order. But anyway, that's, that's my general bias. So yeah, I would say it wasn't my favorite thing here, but if it is a, if they are mimicking the the structure of Citizen Kane, then it's a little bit more compelling to me. I can see why they'd want to do that in this film. And I think that it can work sometimes, but it felt like the climax of the flashbacks, that confrontation in Hearst Castle was big, was, you know, was made sense as sort of an end piece to a movie. But the, final result of the present day story of him, you know, confronting Orson Welles for credit in the, as a play, as the screenwriter and I don't know, getting the Oscar. I mean, that was like a, like a two minute scene with Orson, the Orson Welles character. It just, there wasn't as much conflict there. It didn't seem as climactic to me, but yeah, I think we understand the stakes worse. I don't, I, I think we, I mean, for me, it's hard to exactly understand what the deal was that he took on the writing job. Why did he agree to not take credit? Why was it such a big deal that he wanted credit? I mean, do you know why he would have agreed to not take credit? It was you get paid more that way for some reason? Oh, I thought it was just he was struggling. Playwright people didn't want his name on movies or I, I don't have any of the context, though. I'm not sure. Oh, no. Well, I mean, I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's more it's not that they didn't want his name on it. It's more like you don't have to pay, or you can you 
you'll pay someone a little bit more, but then you get the credit as for writing it. It's like ghostwriting. You're paying someone to ghostwrite it. Does it make Orson Welles seem a little kind of sketchy? Well, that's the, that's the real world story. I mean, people, this was a known story. Like in the stuff I've read about the movie after watching it, um, people, a lot of people thought this movie was going to be mostly focused on Orson Welles fight with Mank over claiming who wrote it because Orson Welles genuinely claimed that he wrote it. Well, I totally thought it was going to be like a legal battle or I thought that was the whole, going to be the whole focus of this movie. That, con- yeah, that conflict. Exactly. And- yeah. So it's a known thing that, that, that Orson Welles claimed to have written it as far as I understand. Um, but that there's this other alternative version where people are like, no, you didn't. You're, you're not being honest. But he's probably just as he wants himself to be a larger than life character as, as a storyteller. And I also like, if you're the person who directed and starred in the, I don't know, some people think the best movie ever. I think you're, you're, you can get a little inflated and I don't know, want to be the person that that's the genius behind all of it. Yeah. And maybe he genuinely feels like he paid for the right to say he is the writer, that that was the deal. And that Mank reneged and, and didn't follow through. I mean, maybe he has a claim to feel aggrieved that that was a legal agreement at the time and a normal way of doing things. Well, and I think there was sort of a, I mean, I don't even know if it's a subplot, but just to fill out his relationship with the MGM studio, it does, they do talk about the writer's guild being formed and, you know, how, how he's being paid I mean, I think that would be a really interesting story, but I don't, I don't think we got very much of it or enough context to see sort of the struggle of Hollywood writers trying to get credit and paid for their work. <laughs> but Mank, I don't know. That's interesting. I'm surprised you'd say that, that you want to see that movie. Mank kind of says to the guy, to the guild guy, you know, if, if anyone in the real world who's actually struggling heard about you crying about only getting, I can't remember, seven fifty a week, or, yeah, then they would, they would just, you'd be like, that's not, you guys have problems that are not anywhere near what like average Americans, real working Americans have for problems. I don't know. I'm more sympathetic to that. I, don't, I feel like, <laughs> you know, me kind of anti-union. What? <laughs> and Mank too. Mank was suspicious. He, he was not convinced. I guess. Unions, unions always help the people that are in the union, but they hurt everyone else. They make it harder to get in. They make they put barriers to entry into this into this uh, sector of the industry or economy. Well, let's not get too into unions. <laughs> I'm just saying I liked what Mike said. Okay. Well, then I mean, we have not even he was talked a, he about. Was a, well, I think we should talk a little bit about politics. I mean, oh, this movie no, is about politics. Like, he's an interesting guy. He was kind of dissing the union, but he really cared about the average working guy and a heavy and wanted the socialist candidate Upton Sinclair to win. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely that 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 is the seat of the conflict with Hearst, right? Oh, definitely the the splitting of the classes and people. I don't know, living off of the work of others. Uh, I mean, do you think? There's any credence to the idea that a throwaway comment by Mank is what drove the first like political film ad that I don't know pre- pretended to be a newsreel but wasn't. I mean, like, do you think that is real? Probably. I don't know. I don't know, but it's a good story. 
Yeah, it is. It is. It's interesting to, I don't know. I don't know. I assumed it was, I guess. I assumed this is based on research and historical fact. Do you have a hard time watching a character that's kind of totally self-destructive? Like, isn't it a little painful to watch him, I don't know, double down on the bet of the candidate who's going to win? And it just feels like he never has his own interest in mind. No, I, I don't think painful. I think it's compelling. You can't, you want to know what he's going to do next. He's definitely a sympathetic figure. I mean, I think, I think one does feel bad for him. But I, I don't know. I could really relate to him, I think, in the sense of he just, he was compelled to write the story he had to write. And there were all these opportunities to, to change it or to soften it or to disguise it more or maybe just kill it entirely. And and it would have been better financially for himself. And he just stuck to it. I don't know. I love that. So in a way, he's self-destructive. But in another, in another way, he's a true artist, I feel like. And he always sort of slipped out of things. I don't know. He seemed very intelligent, too. Like, um, like figuring out his brother's offer was really trying to kill this, yeah, this screenplay and have him work on something else. I think he showed a lot of sort of cleverness and... Good intuition as well. Oh, yeah. This is one of those movies where people would say things and I didn't understand what they meant. And I'm a pretty smart guy, but I I just felt like the dialogue was very smart. And I think fast. I I mean, I I do feel like they just they go over things. They don't explain stuff. They don't give context. I mean, they're talking about politicians from the 30s and movies from there and like studio heads. Like, I don't know, you have... uh, Brian Connerty from Billions as David Oselznick. Yeah. And I uh, I think he produced Rebecca with Alfred Hitchcock. And like, a, I mean, a bunch of movies. So it's just kind of interesting to have that sort of context or that film history in there. How'd you know that? I just watched Rebecca recently. <laughs> okay. One thing we haven't talked about yet is the sort of filmmaking decisions in this movie. So how did you feel watching a black and white shot in the styles of a movie from 1940s film? I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. Cool. Uh, What'd you think? (laughs) I think the, the black and white is interesting. It's fine. It's when he started doing things like the little, burn mark in the film or the circle in the corner every once in a while. Did you ever notice those? No, or I don't know. I remember it like didn't look perfect. No, but even sometimes it's like, it's like he was adding in things to the movie to make it look like a film from, from the, a black and white film from the past. But I'm just like, that seems a little too weird. Like I didn't like that. It took me out of it a little bit. Oh, it didn't bother me. I liked it. I think it'd be fun to shoot a movie like that. But he did a lot of like, I don't know. It did feel a little old fashioned in some of the transitions between scenes, like the fade outs. Right. Did you notice that? Yeah, for sure. I think I, I remember. I mean, I wish I would have watched Citizen Kane already, but I'm I'm 90 percent sure that that's how Citizen Kane does transitions. Yeah. Um, and then the I guess the last sort of thing that I wanted to call it that I, I did like was the. Uh, the introductions to the flashback scenes being like typewritten stage direction showing like uh, the scene and, and and that the date. I thought that was a, a fun transition to have that appear on the screen. 
Yeah. It was, uh, it was fun. I, w- I would have been happy if they didn't do that, but <laughs> that felt like a little bit screenwriter gimmicky to me. Uh, if you got to do Chirons, do it original. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what are you? Are there other things you liked or didn't like about this movie? Uh, we kind of touched on, I mean, yeah, you said it like it just, it was so smart and didn't explain a lot of stuff. I liked that. I liked trying to keep up and I felt like I could see, I could see why, or just how that, um, kind of that comrade camaraderie, I guess is the word, uh, between the writers was very compelling to me. I liked those scenes at the studio in the flashbacks with all the writers and the, just kind of how smart and how fast thinking they were the little, um, the trick they play on the new writer who has to finish the story. Um, I found the scene with the writer who shoots him or is contemplating suicide and then Mank shows up. I thought that was a very, uh, compelling, um, story and seeing the interactions with the, I like the boss, uh, of the studio. What was his name? Meyer, mayor, mayor, I think. Yeah, and just how I don't know. I thought he. I thought I, I. I liked how his character was so in charge in the studio, but then so deferential at Hearst's house. Just kind of that dynamic seemed very real to me, and I, I like that actor a lot. Well, I think I mean Mank could just always get under his skin, do the right thing to say to annoy him and bother him, and he just didn't care too. Yeah, like he could see through that guy. Yeah, his commentary on him asking the the workers to give back a percentage of their wages. I thought was just so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So disingenuous. Uh, all right, Ty, what are you going to rate Mank out of five? I'm going to give it a three. I thought it was good. Wow. I would give it a four. I would give it a four if Oldman wasn't cast and that person was actually the right age. Well, that's interesting. I was on the border of like four and five. And that just may be a dearth of movies that are really good this year, but uh, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. All right. I respect that. A five. What other yeah. five I mean, movies have you seen this year, Ty? I mean, we, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> I know there was one that I shouldn't have given a five to. Gosh, did you give a five to Hubie Halloween? <laughs> um, this is, that's not important right now. What I want to say is, it was also just kind of slow. I mean, it was a good movie. This is the same problem with Citizen Kane, actually. I remember watching it. Like, it's good, but it's not super fun or, I don't know, it's a little boring for me. Well, I, I think the storyline, they, I, I don't know. I agree. It's, it was long. And I think a little, it, it picks up in the second half when all the stories are coming together. But at the beginning, it's like, I don't know why I care so You just don't care about the characters right away. Yeah. I don't know what they could have gotten rid of. Maybe the, like, the studio politics and, like, his job and that stuff could have gone, but that's always tough, I'm sure, to figure out what to include. Yeah. All right. Well. Read what are you watching these days? Yeah, let's talk about some recommendations. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the... Things that Remy and I have been watching is Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Larry David show. Mm -hmm. And I think it is so funny. I think he does such a good job and it's a lot of like social commentary and just like weird things that I'm sure he notices in his life. And uh, uh, we've really, really liked it. 
It's not my kind of humor. I just don't think it's funny. It's just him being awkward. Ugh. There are some but awkward moments, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Um, I just started watching Succession. I'm sure everyone has watched it, but it's pretty good. Yeah, we have. How, uh, you're like, I like it. How far into the first season are you? Just two episodes in. Okay. They're like the most detestable characters, but so fun to watch. <laughs> that main son is... Like, he's annoying, but I, yeah, I kind of like feel bad for him all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's good. He was in, he was just in the trial of the Chicago Seven, and he's in um, the big short. He's one of Steve Carell's like assist, well, I don't know, traitors in that movie. He has a small part, but uh, I think he's good. That makes sense. Yeah, the connection with uh, Jesse Armstrong. Oh, Jesse Armstrong. Isn't that the British guy who did, like, The Thick of It? Or no, Adam McKay. And, yeah, Adam McKay. Yeah, Adam McKay was the one I was thinking of. I didn't know Jesse Armstrong did. um, Uh, Don't hold me to that. What did he do? (laughs) Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I was was just thinking Adam McKay. Well, either way, it's good. Yeah. People will tell me it's the best TV, but I don't know if that's true. I mean, I definitely don't think that's true already. What's not my favorite TV show? What's the best TV show ever? Well, the best TV show even going right now. Oh, the best TV show ever. The best TV show ever is Lost. Let's Ugh. be honest. You're you're on a weird Lost kick this year. It's fine. What's the best TV show lost. on right now? Ted Lasso. It's not on anymore. What do you mean? I guess either it's, I mean, it's on. Oh, it's gosh. they ordered two more seasons of it. It didn't bother you that there was just like four characters that worked at this Premier League club. Mm-mm. No, there, that's there, smart there, writing. There'd be a hundred people working there. Yeah, but you can't you can't keep track of that many characters. Reed, come on. But you could have an office, a background. You could have them walking through places. You don't need that. You don't need that. All right, it was great. We we watched Ted Lasso. Who am I kidding? Yeah, it's so good. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Two Brothers Review the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. Can I talk now, Reed? Since I'm in well, your mind. You decide. Uh, Bye. Bye.